Myself and Julia are here with Liam Carson. Liam's a writer and an avid vinyl collector. What else do you do, Liam? Well, I run the Emram Irish Language Literature Festival, uh, which takes place once a year. And basically, what the word Emram means, a voyage of discovery, it comes from the old Irish. It's Umrath in the new, Ar- new Irish, it means rowing. So, what we try to do is mix up music, poetry, film, drama, using city centre venues like the Sugar Club and Crawdaddy and so on and so forth. We translate Dylan into Irish, for example, with the lyrics and images of Dylan projected on the screen. You actually had the situation where you had, you know, 200 people singing like a Rolling Stone in Irish, oh. you know, which was a great experience. So, that's basically what I do. And uh, you have a new book called, it's Call Mother a Lonely Field. Again, it's partly to do with my upbringing in Irish. I was brought up in Belfast in the 1960s at a time when a lot of people wouldn't have been speaking Irish. My father was very much to the forefront of promoting Irish in Belfast during the 50s and 60s. So I suppose the question is, what was your first record? Everybody wants to have a really cool record as the first record that they bought. Nobody but does. truth to tell, it was The Night Chicago Died by Paper Lace. We're looking through a beautiful collection of LPs here. This one is really, really fabulous. Well, now this is Happy to Meet Sorry to Part by Horselips, their first record. The cover's in the shape of a concertina. What I keep saying to people about CDs that you can't get the whole experience that you used to get with vinyl records where you know the whole packaging was integral. And here you have a concertina. You have beautiful pictures of Horselips. You've got Jim Lockhart here, and they're all... <laughs> like rock musicians looked in the early 70s, you know, fierce mustachioed men. They actually have a song, What Has Become of the Loss and the Pain, What Has Become of Those Fierce Mustachioed Men, in one of their later albums. I think for a lot of people, when they were 14 or 15 back in the early 70s, and you heard horse steps, I mean, they were the first really homegrown rock band, but they tapped into the tradition at the same time. But I think they were more of a rock band than a traditional or a folk band. I think it's a mistake to put them in that bracket. They were a rock band with a traditional flavour. In Belfast, when I was growing up, horse steps were the only band that played Belfast. Everybody else was terrified of playing Belfast. It was like a ritual once a year, horse steps, and then maybe Roy Gallagher or Thin Lizzy would come once a year. My first gig was Horseships, you know, at the age of 15 or something like that. And, you know, they completely blew me away. And, you know, they played all those old dance halls in places like Bondor and all around the country. I mean, they're an integral part of our culture, so they are. What would be your favourite album? I know it's an impossible thing to ask anybody, but what would be your favourite album? Probably Horses by Paddy Smith. And Dylan is the fundamental thing for me. I think Dylan is just, he's up there with Shakespeare. He's up there with Picasso. He's up there with Chaucer in terms of the impact that he's had on culture as far as I'm concerned, and he will be remembered that way. But I find it very difficult to pick a particular Dylan album. You know, Blood on the Tracks would be one, but Paddy Smith's Horses, I mean, I bought this in London when I was on a school trip back in 1979 or so. And I mean, there's that iconic photograph by Robert Marplethorpe of Paddy Smith, and then you put on the very first track, which was Gloria, and you know, the first line is, Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine, you know, you're a doubting Catholic on the Falls Road and you're rebelling against it and here is this amazing line and then it goes into this amazing 90 miles an hour adrenaline amphetamine version of the Van Morrison song completely reworked. There's an interview with Mike Stipe from R.E.M. and he says, you know, like she ripped his skull apart, she ripped the arms off him, you know, just listening to that for the very first time and, you know, I think Paddy Smith was that idea that, you know, a street kid, you know, from New Jersey, you know, there's Piss Factory, she's working on the, you know, the night shift on a conveyor belt, but she's reading Arthur Rambo's you know, Illumination. And suddenly you know, you just discover that she was influenced by Ginsburg and all these people. And you start reading, you know. I loved artists like Dylan and Pi Smith, who actually turned you on to literature as well, who just opened up an entire universe for you. Do you actually still listen to the albums or have you joined the digital age? No, I, I don't have an iPod. I do listen to a lot of stuff on the internet, I mean, because you can't get wonderful videos and stuff like that there. But it doesn't sound the same. I mean, I bought Dylan's latest album, Together Through Life, recently on vinyl. 
And, you know, it just sounds a thousand times better on vinyl than it does on CD. CD compresses everything. It's flat. It's characterless. So I think that it does make a big difference. What else have you got here? Now, this is the radiators. I mean, again, you know, an Irish connection. Whenever I first came to Dublin back in the 1980s, you know, before that I'd heard of the radiators, that a number of singles came out. There was enemies. Sometimes you just don't know who your enemies are. Now, Philip Shervin's a wonderful man. He would write a lot of the stuff in the radiators, and then he was instrumental in the post later on. But, I mean, I think The Ballad of the Faithful Departed, for example, is one of the greatest songs of all time. I mean, to me, it's almost an alternative national anthem. This graveyard hides a million secrets and the trees no more than they will tell but the ghosts of the saints and the scholars will haunt you in heaven and hell I mean that's just arch poetry I mean the other thing about that whole album is I mean saturated in the world of James Joyce Dubliners and Ulysses for example you know you've got a track where you know they're just singing run run river run run through our lives you know so that's Joyce you know Kitty Ricketts is a wonderful song they did a wonderful version of that with Agnes Burnell so you've got that kind of cabaret Germanic kind of thing it's produced by Tony Visconti so there's a kind of a Berlin element in there you know I have to ask you about your Hawkwind albums I'm a bit of fan, a bit yeah. of a fan of Hawkwind myself yeah I mean the thing about Hawkwind underappreciated yeah I, I mean I think Hawkwind are one of the greatest bands of all time and they're a psychedelic band, but not in the sense that Pink Floyd were. They weren't frippery, trippery. They were a ballsy, gutsy, garage band. You know, they were a punk band. I mean, Johnny Rotten, for example, says that Hawkwind were a huge influence on Sex Pistols. You had a whole collective of people. It's actually possible to have gone to see Hawkwind twice and seen two completely different bands, but they're still Hawkwind. You had the guy, Bob Calvert, who was their auteur, really. I mean, he created the whole narratives, whole characters. They had Urban Guerrilla, which was uh, banned by the BBC at the time whenever that came out, because the IRA had a campaign at the time. And I think of them just as really in-your-face, really gutsy kind of band. And they tied in with science fiction. I loved the new way of science fiction at the time. People like Michael Moorcock, um, J.G. Ballard, and Hawkman were very heavily influenced by those people. Michael Moorcock used to read on stage with them. If you go to see Hawkman live, it's an entire experience that you're completely and utterly immersed but I mean, look at the coverage again here. You know, the warrior Stunning edge of time. You've got this horseman on the edge of a cliff staring into the abyss. You know, there's a song that's called The Golden Void. The Golden Void speaks through me, speaks through time. And you can imagine this. What about this Doll by Doll? Doll by Doll are a group that are very, very dear to my heart. I first discovered Doll by Doll when I saw an interview with the lead singer, Jackie Levin, in the NME back in 1979 or so. And he was living in a place called Maida Vale in London and uh, squats. And he started talking about poets like Kenneth Patchen and E. Cummings. And I was kind of fascinated by this guy, Jackie Levin. And they have a beautiful song. This is their third album, actually. It's just called Doll by Doll. And they have a beautiful song called Me and Travelled Roads. Beautiful lyrics, I dressed you in the morning for a journey through the past. We signed our names and shadows that I promised you would last me and travel roads before me, passing slowly out of sight, the haunted valley course sweeping to the night. Jackie Levin had one of those voices that could go from like a really deep bass register to very high. Mm. Nobody understood doll by doll. They were romantic, they were big hearted, they didn't sort of fit into the cynicism of punk. They were an outsider band, they had more in common groups like the only ones. They went into oblivion, Jackie Levin became a heroin addict. Then he came back out of the blue with this album, The Mystery of Love is Greater Than the Mystery of Death. And he has a beautiful song, which I stole as the title of my own book, called Mother Lonely Field, where it opens up with drunken Irishmen in a bar singing Danny Boy, and then suddenly breaks into this like young Irishman in English bars, the song of home portrays us. And it's a song about his mother, who was dying at the time, and he envisages her as a frozen field, something that's cold and hard, but beautiful at the same time. And... Whenever my own mother died, this was the song that just kept going through my head again and again, Call Mother a Lonely Field. And it's an exquisite phrase. 
Now, somebody else we've covered in the show is Woody Guthrie, who was obviously uh, Bob Dylan's big influence. And I see you have Dust Bowl Ballads here. Is that a collection or is it actually one of his albums? So that's actually one of his albums, you know. I mean, it's a whole coherent story, Dust Bowl Ballads. I mean, basically, it's Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, created as a song cycle. There's lots of songs here which everybody knows. Pretty Boy Floyd, Vigilante Man is one of the greatest songs of all time, I think. It's been covered by loads of people. Springsteen does it, Ry Cooter does it. There's that brilliant line, you know, Preacher Casey was just a working man. He said, unite all the working men. Some strange man shot him down. Was that the vigilante man? And I think Woody Guthrie opens you up into an alternative American history. People forget what was happening in America in the 1920s and 30s where the Communist Party was huge. There were millions of people who were in the Communist Party and they were persecuted by the government. You had pitched battles in Kentucky, for example, between miners where the government sent in Pinkerton agents with machine guns and the miners fought back over a 12-mile battlefront. So you actually had this massive battle. Does anybody talk about this? No, but I mean, Guthrie sings about those things. Do you think, say, in the next century, his legacy or Dylan's legacy? I think both of them will still be there in the next century. They'll be there in 200 years' time. They'll be there in 300 years' time. I mean, I think all great art transcends the time that it was actually created in, you know. Would Woody Guthrie be as far back kind of as your record collection goes, or would you go further back? No, we pretty much, I mean, I suppose I pretty much grew up saturated by, you know, rock and then, you know, a lot of my family are traditional musicians, you know. I mean, I have this Billy Holiday record, and now it's actually one I stole from my brother Kieran. I mean, there's just a whole filigree of scratches on the record, but it doesn't actually jump, but there's all that little crackle and there's an atmosphere there and there's a beauty in it because it couldn't be any other way that sometimes what's broken and fragile is what is beautiful. You know, I, I hate this notion of perfection. Things are overproduced now. Things are too sweet. Things are too polished. Give me the cracked and the broken. Dylan, you know, people complain about his voice. Give me that cracked rasp rather than Westlife any day of the week. The cracks were the light shine through, as Leonard exactly. Cohen said.